0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now.
1: Okay, so this evening we're taking a break from our normal verse-by-verse study in the book of Genesis. And tonight I want to talk to you about the last days in the life of Jesus. Okay, let that sit in, the last days. Resurrection Sunday is just a few days away, and so I thought it would be good to just really feel and take a brief look at the days leading up to the final hours of Jesus dying on the cross. And I would love, guys, the Lord, to do this for us today, bring proper perspective on this text, proper perspective. And you go, why? Well, again, proper perspective in our life is very interesting because if you don't know or it hasn't happened, there have been a lot of attacks that have been going on within the body of Christ this week. In different churches, I've had friends call me and text me, please please pray, this is what's going on, hey, this is what's going on, and just a lot of stuff going on. And I do want, again, proper perspective, guys, in, in, in seeing what's going on. So, So that's what we want to look at. We want to see the final hours of Jesus dying on the cross. Now, I need to give you just a little bit of background before we jump into our study tonight. We have four Gospels, you guys know them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what they do is they will all give us the the life in the ministry of Jesus, okay? That's what the Gospels do. And if you're taking note, here's what I want you to jot down. Every Gospel is different, yet very much the same. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are known as the synoptic gospels. You go, synoptic? What does that mean? Well, again, you can you can write that word down, synoptic, it's S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C, and it means to see together. That's all it means. You've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and what they do is they cover much of the same material, if you will, but from a slightly different point of view, depending upon who they're writing to. But you can get a lot of the same material. Matthew will say something. Mark will say something. Luke. Now again, what we need to understand is they'll see they'll say the same things. But remember, it's from a different point of view. If you and I were to come upon a scene of an accident and we saw the same thing but in different vehicles, they he said, "Well, here's what I saw." He saw the same accident, but it's a completely different view. I would have, "Oh, but but did you see this? That car stopped over there." And people would go, "Okay, you write a report." That's kind of how it is. Well, you go, "Well." Ben, as we get in the background, who are they writing to? Well, first we've got to step back and we go, well, John does something totally different, okay? John, guys, gives us snapshots of the deity of Jesus and not so much all the details, okay? These are the snapshots. Now, note with me, the different people in the Gospels who they're written to, okay? So you want to jot this down. It's going to help you understand, and it's going to help you really get good Bible study in your heart. You go, why? Because Matthew, he writes to the Jews. That's his main focus. He's writing to the Jewish people, okay? So whenever you read the Gospel of Matthew, you kind of go, oh, okay, I can see why he would do. What would he do? Well, remember, his focus... On writing to the Jewish people, guys, was to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what he's going to do. So he would write. Now catch this. Because it was written to the Jews, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament more than any other gospel. 99 times Matthew will say something from the Old Testament. Oh, okay. Why? Because the Jewish people understood and they knew the Old Testament. And so when he's writing to them, that's you go. So when you read the Gospel of Matthew, you've got to put the mindset of the Jewish people on so you get a full understanding. Number two, Mark. Mark was actually written to the Romans, to the Romans. And he wrote, and his focus was to portray Jesus as the suffering servant or the servant. Okay, if you look at the gospel of Mark, it's a little bit shorter, but the key word is immediately, immediately. He uses the word immediately 82 times, and most of the time in reference to the idea of of Jesus responding to the Father, and immediately. Now, here's what you need to understand about Mark. You go, what's that? Mark doesn't give us any genealogy. Why is that, Pastor Ben? Well, remember, servants didn't really have a genealogy. They're just servants. When you think of Rome, when you told some one of the soldiers to do something, what did they do? They did it, right? Servants. So Mark writes in that context. Luke, guys, was written to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. And you go, well, what, what was his focus? Well, he was to portray Jesus as a man. That's what he wants to do. His key phrase throughout the Gospel of Luke is, "...and it came to pass." And it came to pass. He is only interested in the detail of the travels of Jesus. And it's a very, 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 very long book. When we first started the church over 15 years ago, we started the book of Luke in our little Bible study. And I was thinking, are we ever going to get done with this? It was like forever. But Luke writes to the Gentiles. And John's gospel is different. Okay, John's gospel takes us to higher ground. In fact, jot this down, church, 90% of the material in this letter is not found anywhere else, right? And so he writes in that way. John's gospel, all written, different people, different times, different point of view, and for a purpose. Now, since we've come to Passion Week, some people call it Holy Week, and on Sunday morning, guys, we've talked about Jesus all the way to the cross I want to go back, and I want to start our story up in what we would call Spy Wednesday. That would be today, Spy Wednesday. You go, Spy Wednesday? Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up our story in Luke 22. Give me an amen if you're there. But keep this in mind. As we track the story from Wednesday, we'll go all the way to Saturday... And we'll look at some applications in our life, okay? So we're going to move. We're going to start off kind of slow. Picture yourself in an airplane, okay? We're going to start off real slow. We're going to get up. And then when we get up, we're going to move pretty quick, okay? And then we'll land pretty quick. It'll be one of those, oh, we're here, boom, and we'll land down, okay? That's what we're going to do. Again, I want you to feel the weight. I want you to put your thinking caps on. I want you to go back 2,000 years ago. There you are. You are in Jerusalem. There you are. You can smell you can smell Jerusalem you go why would i smell it because it's passover right and everybody had the lambs and the heifers and the everything they had them right there for sacrifice and there's people everywhere so so not only were you there but you could feel the way you, ah, this is this is good okay everybody got it you're in Jerusalem you're there you are and that's where we're going to pick up our story Luke 22 verse 1 says now the feast of unleavened bread drew near which is called passover And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. Speaking of Jesus, why? For they feared the people. Now, here's what's going on. We have Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Everybody see that? Let me explain really quick. Passover, guys, we know was the ancient Jewish festival commemorating what? The deliverance from Egypt. That's what Passover was. That's what they celebrated. Unleavened Bread was the festival contained after the Passover for the next seven days. Okay. So you have two feasts. Now, here's what we need to understand. This is what's going on in Israel. It's Wednesday, right? Both feasts co- commemorated the deliverance of Israel from where, church? Egyptian bondage. Do you remember that? Okay. You go back to your days of watching, right? And it's, and, and, and here's the thing. Easter's coming up on Sunday. I guarantee you ABC is going to show. Right? The Ten Commandments, right? I know it's, it's interesting. They'll show the story of Jesus. They show the Ten Commandments. And so it's cool. Sit down at 6 and watch the Ten Commandments till 1020, and that's what you get. Well, that's what it is. It's them coming out of Egypt, okay? Now, think about this. For our lives, really quick, Jesus, we know, is the Passover lamb, right? As well as the bread of life that he has set us free from, okay? So so basically, we think about this. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. He's freed us from, number one, we call it Passover. For them, he's freed them from Egyptian bondage, but for us, from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of sin, he is our Passover lamb. But we also see in the, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, guys, jot this down, he frees us from the bondage of works, so you got the freedom from sin, that's Passover. And then you got the freedom from works, that's unleavened bread. Okay? And, and it's just, it's kind of like, wow, okay. So, so in applicational sense, here's what's going on in our text. It says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, okay? Unleavened bread, Jesus would be what? He would be the bread of life, he would be the Passover lamb, and he set us free just as well. Now here's what I found really comforting. Okay, because here's what I think a lot of people struggle with. Guys, we get saved and we feel like we have to do something. And somehow in our walks, we might transition into the place where we feel like we begin working to please God. Anybody with me? It's, it's a weird thing. You know, you're set free by grace. You go, man, Jesus, amen. I didn't do anything. And somehow you start to move just a little bit over here. And then you're in the bondage of works. Well, I have to. Well, I need to. Well, I want, I want God mad at me, so I guess I'll go to church. Well, I don't want God mad. At, and, and again, here's what we need to understand. We need to understand in our lives that our Jesus set us free from that bondage of works. And that all we have to do is rest in him. And I'm telling you the truth. That's the hardest thing for us to do. It is the hardest thing is to rest in the finished work of Jesus because I feel like I got to do something. How can I help my team? And Jesus is like, look, it's finished. Just, you you want to know the best way to help the team? Yes, Lord. Just rest. Just love me. Oh, God, I've, I, just, what do you mean I feel like i got to do some? No, no, I've set you free from the bondage of works. You don't have to work. But God, I want to work. He goes, well, if you want to work, work because you love me, not because you have to. Guys, it's easier said than done. It's easier said because we move this way. Oh, I just, I just got to do something. I just got to do something. I also find it interesting in our text, guys, that, Jesus, the Passover lamb, as well as the bread of life. I find it interesting that Jesus is about to be killed. You guys know that, right? He's headed to the cross. He's headed on what is called the high day. It was both Passover and unleavened bread. Isn't that interesting? The very, it's just like, here's what I say it's like God knew what he was doing and he put it all together for such a time as this. You guys with me? You're like, okay, I'm with you. There, yeah. There could have been other times that Jesus died. We go, why did he die? He was 33 years old. Why For such a time as this. And here's what I want you to see in your life. There are times that God is working out. He's working behind the scenes. And you say, God, why? And we cry out to the Lord. But he says, for such a time, I'm going to work. I'm going to move. I'm going to hang in there. I've got something amazing for you. But you've got to hold got to hold on to that. You got to hold on to that you do not see it. The people, the religious people, surely didn't see it. They didn't see Jesus as the Passover lamb. They didn't see any of this. What did they see? Well, verse 2 says, And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill Jesus. Notice, guys. For they feared the people. Do you see that in verse 2? If you're an underliner, underline that. And they feared the people. Why? I just thought right here it's important for us to do a heart check. You go, a heart check? Why? Because we've got to ask ourselves a very hard question. You go, what's that, pastor? Do we fear man more than we fear God. Do we fear man? And you go, how so? Well, think about what's going on here, right? Here are the chief priests, the scribes, okay? And they're gathering together and they're trying to figure out a way how to kill Jesus because they feared man, because they feared the people. They feared the people. And I was like, okay, Lord, are there times in my life when I fear what people are going to think about me? Are what people are going to say about me? Do I fear what 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 my reputation might be like, or do I, and do I fear you, and do I fear you, guys? We're motivated by one or two things. What is it? By fear or love? By fear or love? We're motivated by one of those two things, and I want to be motivated by love. My love for Jesus brings about obedience. My fear of men, look what it where it ends up. The religious people of the day, the ones that's that that should be walking close to God, guys they're trying to kill my Jesus. I don't want to be religious. I don't want to be religious. I want to be set free from the bondage of who people think I should be. I want to be set free from that. I want to be the guy that God has made me and so that I can walk in obedience to him. But I noticed something. Maybe you noticed it in your life. I noticed it in my life. I know that sometimes we pretend to be somebody else because we don't want to lose friends. We don't want people to see the real us. If they see the real us, then maybe they won't be our friend. And I think, I think the Lord doesn't want us to pretend. The Lord wants us to just be us, warts and all, flaws and all, as long as we're working to where we're going. So right here, I said, Lord, I have to do a heart check, Lord. Check my heart. You see, here's what we do on Scripture, guys. It's so important. There are times when we read Scripture, and then there are times when we allow Scripture to read us. And when we allow Scripture to read us, we won't look at a passage like this and go, oh, yeah, well, they feared men. Of course they did. Pfft. That was them. That's not me. But when we let Scripture read us, we have to ask the important questions. Lord, Lord, do I fear people more than I fear you? Well, in verse 3, it says, And Satan entered Judas, surname Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Here's a quick note, guys. This is the first time that Satan enters Judas... And then he's going to enter them a second time, if you will, in John chapter 13, when they're actually in the upper room. Now, what day is this? If you recall, today's Wednesday. We call it Spy Wednesday because, because Judas is actually going to go spy and figure out how he could betray Jesus, okay? So right now, while you and I are gathered in church, if we're in Israel right now, we know that Judas is somehow being entered by the devil, okay? But in John 13, 27, it says, Now, after the piece of bread... Satan entered him, then Jesus said to him, Judas, what you do, do quickly, do quickly. So what did he do? What happened to the first time? Verse four, so he went his way, he conferred with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and they agreed to give him money. And so he promised, notice that guys, he promised and sought opportunity to betray him. To them in the absence of the multitude. Yeah, he's a spy, is he not? Ha 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 ha! He's gonna go out and he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll deliver Jesus. I'm gonna deliver Jesus. But here's the key word. Here's the key. I don't know if it jumped out at you or not, but the key word is betray. Judas is about to betray Jesus. And you and I, we look and we admonish Judas. Judas, don't do it. What are you doing, Judas? You've been walking with Jesus three years. Don't you see? Why are you going to do this? But I wonder how many times, how many times do I betray Jesus in my daily walk? Well, Pastor, what do you mean? Wow, I, I, I remember going to Israel the first time and I remember doing a teaching right where Peter, right where Peter denied Jesus the three times. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, you know what, there are a lot of times that I betrayed the Lord if I'm not obedient to what he's called me to do. Pastor Ben, I want you to go over and talk to that man. I want you to share the love. I want you to buy them a meal. Lord, are you sure that's me, Lord? Uh, You know, I'll tell you you what the hardest part in us betraying God when we do it. And we don't come up and go, I'm just going to betray it. No, we don't do that. But when we fail to pray for people, that gets me. Because prayer is a what? That's a huge sign of me believing in God and believing he's going to do something in your life. And how many of our prayers have been, guys, where we want to we wanna try to sugarcoat and justify just in case God won't do something. And we want to defend God just, Lord Jesus, I pray. And I pray, God, that this person, and whatever we pray, but then we'll kind of put a disclaimer in there, won't we? But if God doesn't do it, God, you're still good. Amen. And, but I, wanna, I don't want to deny him when God says, hey, I want you to pray for this person. And I think, Judas, what did he do? He went out and notice what it says, and they were glad. And they agreed to give him money, so he promised. And he said, I'm going to do it in the absence. And you go, well, Ben, I have a question. What's that? How much money did they pay Judas? How many do you know? 30 pieces of silver, right? 30 pieces of silver. So I thought, what is that? Well, first of all, if you're taking note, jot this down. I think you can put it somewhere in your Bible, right there in in verse 4 or 5. But it was a common price, guys. It It was a price for a common slave. That's what it was. 30 pieces of silver. So today... I got on the internet, and I thought, how much was 30 pieces of silver? Like, how much is it worth? Well, I got two answers. It said anywhere from 200 bucks to 600 bucks. I guess in those days, prices, or these days, prices, I'm not sure, but let me give them to you. Kind of freaked me out why, because Judas betrayed Jesus for 200 bucks. And I guess it would say, Judas, what would you do for 200 bucks? I'd betray my own grandma. Why'd I, I would, I'd betray my whatever it might be, but I was thinking, wow. And so that's what happens on Wednesday. While you and I go home tonight, we go to sleep, this is what's going on right now. Judas is about to get paid to betray Jesus. Well, the next day happens, right? It's Monday, Thursday, right? Monday, Thursday, and that's what we're going to see here in Luke verse 7, right? So you go, what does Monday, Thursday mean? Well, it commemorates, guys, the foot washing, Monday, and the Last Supper of Jesus Christ. So now we're going into Thursday. Look at verse 7 with me. Then the day of, then came the day of unleavened bread, which the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered a city, a man you will meet carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show a large furnished upper room and make them ready or there make ready. And so they went and found it just as he had said to them and they prepared the Passover. Do you guys see that? Now, here's something interesting. I want you to, just, I want you to mark up your Bible tonight because there's some interesting things. Okay, the Bible tells us that Jesus says, okay, it's time for us to eat the the Passover. Okay, it's time for us to have the Last Supper. Now, to the disciples, it's just a normal Passover. It's the whole Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the high, so they're going to have to present themselves. All of that going on, right? All of that's happening. But I want you to see something in there. You go, what's that? Check it out in verse 10. It says, hey, listen. He says, where do you want to eat? Where do you want us to pray? And he says, here's what I want you to do. Behold, when you have entered the city... A man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. And you go, yeah, no big deal. Here's what I find interesting, guys. In this culture, it was very unusual for a man to carry the water. You go, why? This work, guys, was relegated to women of the household or to slaves. I just found it interesting. He says, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now, again, that would blow their mind. Why? Because, again, in their culture, they're not used to seeing a man carrying a pitcher. And then another picture that pulls out of there, and you go, what is that? Well, another picture that pulls out of there is more times than not, guys, the slave or the woman would carry water in an animal skin, not so much a pitcher. And you go, Pastor, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's just interesting. And you go, well, what, how? well, you're the teacher. Well, here's homework. See if you can find out why, right? I mean, it's just, I just thought, again, we're just pulling some stuff out. But I thought, what was Jesus doing? Jesus says, hey, go in the city. You're going to see this dude. And again, it's like, okay, this is the most abstract thing that you could imagine. If he would have said, hey, you're right, He's, there's Mrs. Early. She's going to be carrying a pitcher of water. They're in New Deal. If he, oh, well, Of course, there she's walking. That, I, that's, we see that every day. But it wasn't. It's was like, go see this guy. He's going to be carrying a pitcher. A pitcher? Why would a man be carrying a pitcher? But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Because in verse 13, it says, and so they went. And found it just as he said to them. And you go, okay, so what does that mean? Well, guys, put a big heart around verse 13. You go, why? Because he found, he, they found it exactly the way Jesus said, right? And this means a lot to me. Why? Because it means that I can count on his word. If Jesus said it under the power of the Holy Spirit, then we need to believe it. And he says this, He says, you're going to go and you're going to find this guy. They walk in, they go, man, that's exactly what Jesus said. But the application to us, and you've got to ask yourself this question. Do you trust this word, guys? Do you trust the word of God? Is this your foundation? And you go, pastor, amen. Give me a big amen. Amen. But are you reading it? Are you studying it? Is this your life? And I go, well, pastor, that's easier said than done. We all live busy lives. I get that. But this has to be the foundation of my life or else my house is going to crumble. It has to be. It has to be my go-to reading when I'm bored. It has to go to my go-to when I when I'm just have something, nothing else. I want to go to the word of God. Well, how do I do that? Well, I got to pray to Jesus and say, Holy Spirit, give me a greater hunger for your word. I'm bombarded by social media. I want to find out what's in your life. I want to find out what you ate today. I want to see what kind of plans you're doing. the Lord says, that's all good. But you want to have the foundation in the word. Here's why. Because the world is going to squeeze you, Ben. It is. Yeah. And what sque- whatever, whatever you put in, when the world squeezes you, is going to come out. I want it to be the word of God. I want it to be the word of God. In my dying, my dying days, guys, my final breath, I want it to be the word of God. And I have to have a greater God. Give me a greater hunger for your word to learn it, to memorize it, to, again, that's exactly why. Because Jesus said, boom, that's it. You can trust my word. You can trust my word. And that's where we see. And so it's Thursday and Jesus, what's he doing? I love it. He's having his final farewell meal with his disciples. Look at verse 14. And when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. Now, here's what I want you to see. Verse 15, guys, in verse 16, he's going to give us the purpose. He's going to tell us. I love this. Notice the purpose. He, then Jesus said to them, who's he with? He's with his gang. He's, there he is. Guys, you know, you know, it's not the Leonardo da Vinci. It's not all of them sitting like this. It's a U shape. They're all leaning on one side and Jesus is about to tell them their purpose. Look at verse 15. Then Jesus said to them, with fervent desire... I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What's he doing? Guys, he's instituting the Passover meal. But guess what he's saying? He's instituting communion. And here's what he tells them. Guys, we're not going to have this meal again until you all come to the kingdom. But the purpose, here it is. I have desired. This is the purpose. I wanted to eat this with you before I suffer. Guys, I think about this, and I think of the passage, and I'm like, "Wow, I'm not really sure if the disciples are really good listeners. I think they have selective hearing, like me. Why? Because there are certain things I don't want to hear. Here's my God, my the one I've given up my whole life for to follow. Three years I'm following him. We're going to take the kingdom. You understand? This is this is. Uh, he's the Messiah. I mean, he just told me he was going to suffer. I don't want to hear that. He didn't say suffer, did he, Gio? No, he didn't say suffer. He's all right. No, no, that's it. I'm okay. And so, but then Jesus does that. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So what did Jesus just do? Guys, he gave us the purpose, and now he instituted, again, he took the bread and the wine, if you will, and he institutes a new covenant, okay? This is what he's doing. And you go, what? Well, think about this, okay? He takes the bread and the wine, and it speaks of his body, right? Doesn't the bread speak of his body, and the wine speak of his blood? And Jesus is also telling them, but more importantly, he's telling us that he's about to be crushed for the sins of mankind. Here's where I almost lose it. Jesus is sitting and he's saying, I'm about to be crushed. And you go, why? Because you got to remember, I was thinking about how you make bread and you got to get, get the bread and you got to knead it, don't you? You got to crush it in to make it bread before you bake it, right? And then what do you do with grapes in order to make wine? You've got to crush them. You've got to crush them. And if you go to Israel today, even in Nazareth, they see it, they, they have a wine press and it's up like that and there's a little canal and they actually, they don't do it now, but that's, that was the original wine press there in Nazareth, the original one that Jesus would have seen. But the point is, and here's what I want you to feel the weight, Jesus is telling them, he's saying, I'm about to be crushed for the sins of mankind. I'm about to be crushed. And I think about, I think about Sin. And I understand what sin means because I'm a sinner. I missed the mark. Harmatia. missed the mark. I get that, guys. And I understand trespasses. I understand where I know, oh, I didn't realize that I was trespassing in your yard. I am so sorry. I didn't see the sign. But here's what gets me. Iniquity. Everybody know what iniquity is? Iniquity is when you know it's wrong and you still do it. And it's almost like I can see my Jesus being crushed because of my iniquity. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. And so Jesus says, I'm instituting this. But what do we got to remember? We got to remember a couple of things. You ready? Judas is not a believer, okay? And he's still there, right? He's still there, and he's going to betray the Lord, right? So in the midst of this, guess what's happening? Even in the midst of this, in our text, guess what the disciples do? They argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. (laughs) Look at verse 21. He says, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me at the table. There you go, Judas. And truly the son of man goes as it's been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to ask, they began to question among themselves, which of them was who would do this thing. Now you remember in our John study, right? They were going, is it me? Is it me? Lord, is it me? Every one of them began to ask if it was them, if they were the ones that are going to be betrayed. And why would you ask that if you're walking close to Jesus? Because every one of us are capable of doing it at a moment that we just don't, we're just not ready. And I mean, they're asking, I'm thinking, I don't know, is it pride filled for you to be in the, in, in the midst of the, of the last supper and go, I'm not going to do that. I don't care what will happen. I'm not going to do that. But they're all asking, is it me? Who would do this? Who would betray you, Lord? Who's the spy among us? Who's the, Who's the guy? Who's the guy? And of course, in our John's our John study, we know. But in the midst of this, look at verse 24. Now, there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater in he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, and yet I am among you as the one who serves. Can you imagine? Here they are having the Passover meal. They don't realize that Jesus is about to die in the next few hours. And there is a dispute, guys. There is a dispute about the disciples. He's like, What are you doing? Oh, I thought, I thought, well, I'd have a better <laughs> I thought I'd have a better position, Lord. Let, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you. A question. Let's think this in your mind. As they came into the supper, it was the host who would assign seats. I wonder if somebody who got kind of the outer edge was like, well, how come I don't get to sit by, what Peter's up there. Peter's, Peter's, that dude's crazy. He's Peter, I mean, come on, look. And John, John's always leaning on him. I mean, it'd be like, John, get off me. I mean, you understand that. But isn't that what we do? And then Jesus said, listen, guys, listen, it's not about any of that. It's about how well do you serve people? How well do you love people? And again, I have to search my heart and go, Lord, You've called us. You've called us to love your people. What, what does that mean, Lord? Gosh. And he says, the Gentiles exercise lordship, but not you. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves, right? It is not he who sits at the table. Yet I am among you as the one who serves. Church, why is serving so hard? Why is serving so hard? Because Jesus just said right here, it's like, man, you want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Be a servant. Be a servant look at verse 28 he says but you are those who have continued but but you are those who have continued with me in my trials okay i want you to see this okay he says but you are those who have continued you go pastor what does that mean well i want you to note something in verse 28 i want you to circle it highlight it do something with it why because i want you to see something very interesting you go what's that jesus is talking to his disciples he's not talking to us at this moment You go, what do you mean? Contextually, in the context, he was not talking to us. He was actually talking and addressing the disciples, the apostles. He says, but you and we were not there. And you go, well, Ben, why is that important? Well, there are times in scriptures when we must determine context. Everybody got that? And you go, why is that important? Because if we take something out of context, we make it a pretext, and we could make it say anything we want. Let me say that again. If you take it out of context, you can make it a pretext, and then somebody could stand and say, hey, here's, here's the promise. The promise is, look, 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 here's the promise. He says... But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. I wasn't there with Jesus in his trials. He says, I bestow upon you the kingdom just as my father bestowed upon me. Well, why hasn't God given me the kingdom? And what happens, guys, is we'll take it out of context. We'll make it a pretext, and here's what happens. When it doesn't come to pass, I get so bummed with God. My God, why why didn't that come to pass? That was your promise. No, it's important to study scripture so we go, oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. He's talking to the disciples at this point. He says, I'm going to bestow on you king, just as my father bestowed me, verse 30, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on my thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He's talking about them. Now, again, once again, who is Jesus talking to? You go, Ben, he's talking to his apostles. But we also play a role here, okay, as an overcomer, according to Revelation 3.21. We're all part of a role here, but contextually, everybody say context. You understand who he's talking to. So important. So it's so important you take the scripture, you break it down, and you basically exegete what's going out there so you know who he's talking to, and we don't get tripped up by false promises that are not really for us. And so you go, oh, he was talking to his disciples. Okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Because I don't want to make that a pretext. And then we got to be careful we got to be careful without with just adding because there's a there's a famous verse that talks about putting ten thousand to flight. You remember that? And it has nothing to do. And then and then pastors will say, "Well, one one you know puts ten thousand to, and, he, and, and it's like, "You took that totally out of context." And then he'll pa- add demons to that. He's like, "And you're like, what? Where did you get that?" We have to be so careful, guys, in just the context of the Word of God. Well, it goes on in verse 31, it says, And the Lord said to Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Do you see that? In the midst of all this, he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, guess what? Satan's coming after you, bro. Satan's coming after you. He wants to sift you as wheat. He says, but Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith shouldn't fail. And here's what blows my mind. Notice what he says, when you have returned to me. So he's almost like going, I prayed for you. When you come back, strengthen your brethren. And you go, pastor, what's the point? Well, first of all, I mean, that's, here's what I want you to see. I want you to note with me the spiritual battles behind the scene. Okay. The spiritual battles behind the scene. Jesus is in tune with the spiritual realm. And he goes, Peter, listen, there's a spiritual battle going on, bro. And I thought, isn't that the same for us? We can count on spiritual attacks and spiritual battles. We can count on them. And aren't they weird at times? And don't they come from the strangest places? And it's just like you can count on that. Why? Let me tell you why. If you're going through a spiritual battle right now, if you're going and you feel like you're being attacked, let me tell you why right now. Because the devil knows that time is short, he doesn't have much time. He knows that. And he's. He's going to do everything. And we know what kind of a great, a great man that Peter became after being filled with the Spirit of God, right? Unbelievable. And the enemy wanted to take him out way before that. But I, I, I like what my wife has been saying lately. Lately, she's, she's, she's been telling me that, that, you know, under spiritual attacks, I mean, she, she's like, you know what? If that's going to happen, uh, we need to be the ones doing the attacking, In other words, we need to be sharing the hope of Jesus with everybody we meet. Listen, if you're going to come after my family, if you're going to come after my friends, if you're going to do this, I'm not just going to sit here and take it. I'm going to go after I'm going to go after and I'm going to tell people, and I'm going to share. And and, and that's really what we need to do. Well, Pete's response is this, but he said to him, notice Pete's response. Well, let me ask you this. What would be your response? (laughs) Wait, who? Satan did what? Hold up. Time out. Tell him I'm not here. I mean, seriously. I mean, he wants to sift me like wheat. Uh, But he says this, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Way to go, Pete. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, with a money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, help me, church, nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has the money bag, let him take it. And likewise, the knapsack, knapsack for he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that which is written must be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for the things concerning me to the end. And so they said, Lord, look here, there are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So what Jesus says now, again, when he talks about the it is enough, guys, you can circle that because what he's really saying, it's enough of this kind of talk. He's going to change his tune, okay? He says, that's enough of that. Notice, and so they get up from there, they finish the the the. Supper, and they continue on to the Mount of Olives. Verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them from about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, saying, Here's his prayer. Coming out, and again, notice, they followed him, and they came to the place, and he prayed, and he said, Not enter temptation. And he was drawn from about a stone's throw. Notice what he says. He says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You guys know the story. There he is. Where is he? He's in the Mount of Olives, right? It's getting close. And Jesus prays something that I think we all need to hear. Notice what he prays. Jesus prays that if there's any other way for man to be saved, that's what he's praying. He said, Lord, if there's any other way, let me know now. Please let this cup pass for me. But of course, Jesus knows there is no other way. And you go, well, pastor, why do we need to hear that? Because, again, there are so many people who will come up to you and say, oh, all roads lead to heaven. Oh, you can get to heaven any other way. There's all kinds of way to get saved. You can get saved with your good works and your good looks and your heritage and how much money you give the church. And Jesus said, no, there's only one way, and that's through the cross of Christ. Then an angel appeared to him in heaven, from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed most earnestly. Then... His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples. He found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray. So again, let's let's just chat for a moment about prayer real quick, okay? And I, and here's why. He's saying, he's, he's going to his disciples and he says, hey, uh, listen, could you guys just pray for a moment? And here's what, I, here's what jumped out of the pages of scriptures right here. Prayer, guys, is a vital part of being a believer. Prayer. And I, and I stopped, and I had to go, you have to ask the question, how's my prayer life? Am I really praying? And you guys know this. We all struggle with prayer. We struggle so much. And we have to be, like, organized. We have to have, like, a list, or else we'll get just, we'll just get all over the place with it. We'll start off and go, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray today. And and if you're, like, one of these prayer warriors, man, that's awesome. And I, I just amen you. But... But even the disciples were like Okay I mean here Jesus is he's he's bleeding from his sweat and well we know what happens guys Prayer's gotta be a big part of our lives. In verse forty seven it says And while they were still speaking, behold a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, are you pertaining the Son of Man with a kiss? When who around him saw what was going to happen. They said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant with a, with a high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest, the captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, did you not try to seize me? But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's home. But Peter followed at a distance. And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard, they sat down, and Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as that by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This is the man who was with him also. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You are you also one of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour has passed, another confidently confirmed, saying, surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you are saying. And immediately he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And how he had said to them, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and whipped better, bitterly. Guys, if you're taking, if you're taking note, I just want to give you the three red flag warning of Peter right here in this portion of scripture. You go, what's that? Number one, if we're going to, this is the red flag. We begin to follow a distance. That's Pete. Then we begin to sit who are not followers. We begin to hang out with those who are not followers of Jesus. And then eventually we deny we ever knew him. And here's what blows my mind. Can you imagine? Then Jesus turns, and he looks right at Peter, and he just, wow, wow. Then the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and having blindfolded him, struck him on the face, asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke out against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him to their council. We guys know this, guys, it's the six illegal trials. Okay? This is that. We've talked about them. We've talked about them. We've talked about them on in the book of John. Now we pick it up in Luke 23. For the whole multitude who was with him rose to him and Pilate and he began to accuse him. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar. Never did that. And he himself said, Christ is a the king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? He answered and he said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priest in the crown, I find no fault in this man. If you look at verse four of chapter 23, you can write here, this is a legal declaration. This should have been not guilty right there. But verse five, they were more, they were more the fierce saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked the men if the the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he heard that he belonged to to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent them to Herod. We know this, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. Why, guys? For he desired a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him, and he had hoped to see a miracle done by him. Who is this Herod? We know that Herod was the guy who killed John the Baptist. Okay, that's who this guy is. But I want you to see the very last verse that we talked about, okay? In verse um, 8, it says, Now Herod saw him. He wanted to see what? He wanted to see a miracle. Here's what I want you to write down on miracles, okay? When it comes to miracles, here's what you need to write down. Miracles don't produce faith. It only creates cravings for more miracles. That's going to be important. Miracles don't produce faith. They only give you a craving for more miracles. That's what Herod wanted to see. And I thought that was a good application for us. Okay, because sometimes we long to see a miracle, but really what we need is we need faith. And the Bible tells us in Romans that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. Verse 9, then he questioned him with many words, and he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt, mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate that very day. Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for they previously had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate. When he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, You have brought out this man to me as one who misleads the people. Indeed, having examined him in your presence, I find no fault in this man concerning the things which you accuse him, nor neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Verse 16. Therefore, I will chastise him, we know this, and release him. And release him. Well, we know what happens, guys. They release Barabbas, Right? We know that's going on. They, they beat my Jesus. Verse twenty-one. They bring him out, and they say, "Look at him." And they said, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And he said to them a third time, "What evil has he done? I find no reason for, for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go." And they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. Verse twenty-four. And Pilate gave sentence that they should be as they requested. Okay, so it's 8 a.m. on Friday morning, verse 26. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon the Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and they laid on him the cross. Now, you guys know that's the cross beam, okay? It wasn't the full cross, right? So they laid the cross beam... to bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of people followed, and women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the deed day, the days are coming in which they'll say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what shall be done in the dry? And there are also... Notice, two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified him with the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said to them, notice what he's saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments, cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, as if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him coming and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription is written of him in the letters in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And we know that, verse 39, and one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you're under the same condemnation? And we, indeed justly, for received a due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, the beautiful words I've ever heard, assuredly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over all the earth to about the ninth hour. The sun was darkened. The temple veil, guys, you know this, was torn in two. And when Jesus has cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, breathe his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd came together to the sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned but all of his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So Jesus is now dead. And we want to close, guys, we want to close our Bible study with this. Here's the burial. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member. You guys know him, Joseph of Arimathea, who had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus, and when he took it down, he wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb. We know this. Where there would no one had ever been lain before. That was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the woman had come with them from Galilee, followed after, and they observed the tomb on how his body was laid. So from what time, guys? From 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, Jesus was on the cross, Three o'clock he died. And then it says Saturday is actually one verse. So they returned and prepared the spices for the fragrant oils. They rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. What that means, for example, they didn't work on the Sabbath. So they worked getting ready for what? So they could can come to the tomb early Sunday morning. Early Sunday morning. So two full chapters. Two full chapters of where Jesus is right now. Today's Wednesday for us, but on Friday, think about that. Take some time to contemplate and think about Jesus on the cross. Now, tonight I didn't go into a whole lot of detail because we've talked about this on our Sunday morning. We talked about how he was scourged. We talked how he stood there. We talked how, how, what, what, what an, what an amazing crushing that Jesus took for my sin and for your sin. And I know Sunday's on the way. I know we're going to celebrate Sunday. I know it's going to be resurrection, and he is risen, and it's going to be amazing. But right now, right now in our text, Jesus is, is buried. And I bet the world thinks we have no hope. We have no hope. We put all our faith and trust in a man from Galilee who said he was the Messiah, and now he's in a tomb. What do we do now? What do we do now? And I bet you the world in, in Jerusalem right now and in Israel are thinking a lot like our world is thinking today. We have no hope. We have no hope. Where do you think our world is thinking today? Our world is thinking we have no hope. We have no hope. What what where where are we gonna go in the next five years? Who's gonna be our president? What's gonna happen in to the economy? We have no hope. That's what our world is thinking suicide rate is skyrocketing because people have no hope and they come to a place. And I've heard it said like this, when it comes to suicide, what people believe and bless their heart is they feel like they're in a burning building and it's better to jump out than to be burned. And that's how they feel. That's how they feel inside because they have no hope. Our young kids our young kids—we're losing them by the droves because we don't give them any hope. Our world—we got to give them hope, and the hope is Jesus. Because yeah, right now in our world it feels like Friday, but Sunday's got to come. And if we don't have the hope of the resurrection inside us—a resurrection, guys—that fills the emptiness that we feel, the loneliness—that's what a lot of people feel. It's hopelessness because Christians out there live a life of hypocrisy. They say one thing and say, and they live another. And everybody can see it. And we want to go, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Hope. Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. You go, Ben, what's my task? You know what your task is this week? Man, man. Will you just find will you just find four people this week? I bet you're going to say, invite them to church. No, no, no. I'm going to tell you. Find four people this week and just tell them that Jesus loves them. Would you do that? Would you just give them the hope? Listen, just, God's going to put that in your heart. Just you say, man, you know what? He just sent me here to tell you that Jesus loves you. Four people between now and Sunday. I want to hear your testimonies. Father, thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you now. Amen.
0: Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on org. Thanks for listening to the podcast.